the congregation please stand? Perhaps we could just bow our heads momentarily in prayer as we ask the Lord to be with us in this funeral service today. Our gracious Father, we thank Thee for enabling us to gather here today to remember the life of Mrs. Margaret Beggs. As we begin this funeral service, we ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. May He bring comfort to every one of us that we may be able to mourn as those that have hope. We thank thee for the promised presence of Christ to be with his people as the good shepherd of the sheep. Give grace, we pray, uh, to Mr. Beggs and the family this afternoon and to all those who take part, for we ask these things in Christ's worthy name. Amen. Please be seated, congregation. As I take this opportunity to welcome you to this service of thanksgiving for the life of Mrs. Margaret Beggs, there is a deep sense of surreality uh, as we speak of her passing. It's felt by all. As the news broke on Friday evening of Mrs. Beggs' home calling, there was that realization that her, her death was not only the, the end of her life, but the passing of somebody. And I was thinking of a word to describe 
uh, Mrs. Beggs, and the word matriarchal come to mind. And she truly was a woman of influence and respect amongst so many. And that had just taken place. Even at the age of 86 years of age, her passing had come as a shock uh, to us all. Mrs. Beggs, for me, was one of those people, I know for you, that would always be there. And yet as a Christian, she knew that one day her life would come to an end and she would pass from glory, or from earth to glory. And on Friday evening, the Lord called her from her earthly home in Kells, uh, there in the village, and brought her home uh, to glory. It is my sincere duty uh, this afternoon to express to Mr. Beggs our deepest heartfelt sympathy on behalf of all who gather here and of those who cannot be here this afternoon. Words cannot describe the devotion and the love and friendship between Mr. and Mrs. Beggs. And yet death has now dissolved that earthly relationship. And it is our prayer, Mr. Beggs, that you and your family in this most difficult of days will know the Lord's grace and in the days uh, to come. To Mrs. Beggs' four children and their spouses, Heather and Mike, Alison and John, Jennifer and Alistair, James and Julie, we to you offer our heartfelt sympathy. And to Mrs. Beggs' grandchildren, to the great-grandchildren, all of whom she deeply loved, and to the wider family circle gathered here, we all know how much Mrs. Beggs appreciated your presence and care in the days before her passing. Before we commence our service this morning, or this afternoon properly, uh, may I just say a word of thanks to the Session Committee of Ballymena Free Presbyterian Church uh, for all the effort that has gone on behind the scenes to facilitate the funeral service this afternoon. A lot of preparation has gone on behind the scenes in the car parking, catering, the media, the musicians, and the ushering in the car parks. And Reverend Beggs being the Minister Emeritus of this congregation, and Mrs. Beggs being the organist here for many years, it's only fitting uh, that her funeral service be held here in this congregation uh, today. Can I just say, by way of housekeeping, uh, please ensure that your mobile phone is turned off, and uh, we pray that you will do that. Uh, now, we have a number of apologies from some ministers, Reverend David Stewart, Reverend David McMillan, and Reverend Calvin Strip uh, send their apologies uh, to you, the family. We are now going to open our service by turning to our order of service and singing uh, the Psalm 121. We invite you all to sing and to stand uh, when we receive the music and May the Lord give us grace to sing uh, this afternoon.
can you please take your seats. We're going to bow our heads and our hearts in a word of prayer. Can I just ask you to bow with me as we together pray corporately, asking the Lord to give grace in this service of thanksgiving this afternoon. May the Lord's presence be felt and known not only by you, but by all who take part today. Our gracious Father and our eternal God, we come into thy holy presence this afternoon. And we thank thee for the grace of God that has already been experienced by the family to this point. And, O fathers, we come boldly into the presence of our God. We thank thee that there is grace to be found through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that he occupies that position today at the right hand of the Father as our prophet, our priest, and our king. And we thank thee, Lord, as our prophet, he ministers the word. And as our king, he rules and subdues all of our enemies. And as our priest, he prays for us in the power of an endless life. And we thank thee today, O Lord, that the ministry of Christ is ever continuing. And that today we can, by faith, rest upon thee to give help and grace to all of those who need it this day. Lord, we have gathered to remember the life of one who was exceedingly precious to so many. And Lord, we, while we mourn the passing of Mrs. Beggs, we give thanks for her life and for the grace that was shown in her. And Lord, we thank thee that even to the end, Lord, you gave her grace and strength to glorify her God. And Lord, today we remember her family, especially her sorrowing husband, and we do remember Mr. Beggs, and we pray for this dear man, that, Lord, thou would show him much grace, sustain his soul in this hour of need. And we do remember his family. We thank thee, Lord, for each one of the, Mrs. Beggs' children. And we pray that they today and their spouses, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, and the wider family circle, Lord, who love this dear woman, will know today the sustaining power of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we come today to ask thee that Christ would be glorified in our midst. And we pray that in all that will take place, both by way of the reading of scriptures, the tribute, song, and the singing of the hymns, that, Father, thy name would be uplifted and magnified. So, Father, we thank thee that these trials of life will soon pass. That there's coming a day when Christ will come to take his people home to be with him. And in time, we know that happens one by one. But we live in anticipation of the great coming. When all that are in the graves shall hear. And they that are on the earth shall meet them in the air. So Father, we pray that our hearts will be comforted today by the word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. And for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, at this point, I would like to introduce a number of men. Uh, first of all, I'm going to ask the Reverend John Armstrong, uh, Mrs. Begg's son-in-law. He's also the moderator of our presbytery. Uh, he'll be coming to bring a tribute on behalf of the family. And then afterwards, long-time friend, Reverend William McRae, uh, will be coming to sing. And then 
The Associate Minister of the Church here in Ballymena, Reverend Andrew Stewart, will be coming uh, to read the Word of God to us. So in that order, I'm going to ask, first of all, uh, Mr. Armstrong to come, and then Mr. McRae and Mr. Stewart, you will follow in that order. Thank you. I'd like to thank Reverend Thompson for the opportunity to come and to speak to you now at this stage. We appreciate our brother leading the meeting today. Could I also pay a special word of thanks also to the Reverend Greer and the Reverend Stewart for taking part in the service for Mr. McRae, who's going to be ministering song in a few moments, just as you've heard. I'd like also to be associated on behalf of the family with the words of thanks that uh, the Reverend Thompson has already given to you. And may I also pass on uh, thanks publicly as well to Mr. Darwin Stevenson and the staff for their thoughtfulness, their assistance, their advice in the role of undertakers and the caring yet professional way in which they've carried out their duties today and in previous days. So we thank you indeed. We owe a debt of gratitude also to all uh, from near and far who have contacted us as a family, to express their condolences and their sympathy at this particular time. Uh, You don't know how much your kind remarks mean to us and how dear they are to us at a time such as this. And then to you for attending the service today. Uh, For others who are watching online, we do appreciate your interest and uh, we want to say just a simple thanks, a sincere word of thanks, but... um, We want to express to you our indebtedness to you for coming uh, today and uh, to see the church so well filled. It bears testimony, of course, to the esteem in which Mr and Mrs Beggs are held. And we trust that our time together will be marked by a sense of the Lord's presence. It's now a long number of years ago since Mrs Beggs first said to me about bringing a tribute at her funeral service. And I suppose to some it might seem like a bit of a risk for a mother-in-law to ask her son-in-law to speak about her publicly, given the reputation uh, that is widely perceived between mothers-in-law and sons-in-law. But of course, Mrs. Beggs being Mrs. Beggs, she left nothing to chance, because whenever she first mentioned to me about bringing a tribute, she also included the line, and you'd better say nice things about me as well. And... On the few occasions then that she mentioned since that uh, about me bringing a tribute to her, she always included that final line as well, so that I can do nothing else but say nice things concerning her, both uh, at her own bidding and also really uh, it's easy to say nice things about her. Uh, Such was the type of lady that she was. And uh, so... In a time of death, I suppose, it's natural to think over the past, to remember words that were said and things done. I was thinking back over the last 40 years, I suppose it is, since I've known Mrs. Beggs maybe a little bit more. And as far as I can remember, there never was a short word or a crossword ever uttered between us. I think that's more down to her being a model mother-in-law rather than me being a model son-in-law. But certainly I stand here and I find it easy to say nice things concerning her Uh, because she was, of course, a remarkable and a lovable lady indeed. There are five things 
I want to say, and the preacher, his heart has just sunk there by the thought of having to sit through five things, but really you'd say 105 things in regard to Nana as she was called. But five things I want to say uh, very quickly and briefly concerning her. Firstly, is S, begins with S, for service. I want to speak about her service as a minister's wife. It's really only those of us who are ministers. And it's a humbling thing to see so many ministers in the congregation this afternoon. It's only those who are ministers who appreciate the value of having a faithful and a loving wife by our side. Ministers' wives, ministers' families make so many sacrifices uh, through the fact that their loved one, their husband or their father is a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus And Papa, as he's known in the family, bears witness to this fact that she was a cheerful encourager. He's more of a cup half empty man or maybe a third empty or two thirds empty. Uh, But Mrs. Beggs was the one who always kept him up. He says that he prayed. She prayed with him. She served with him. And apart from the Lord was the very center and support of his life and ministry. He also said that Uh, She spoiled him, especially in the early days when numbers were small, finances were limited, times were difficult. I don't want to go against what he said, uh, but as far as I could see, she spoiled him not only in the early days of his ministry, but she spoiled him every day as well. However, it was a two-way thing because he also spoiled her likewise. Rarely did you see one without the other. Nana and Papa, really the went together as a perfect couple serving the Lord together. And he has said, of course, that he will miss her more than can be told. But we thank God her service upon earth is at an end. And how comforting it is that she's been called to higher service. Her heavenly service has just begun. The earthly service is finished and complete. And she has received the well done of God. The second point I want to make begins with A. A stands for attractive. Attractive, not only in looks. I know the young County Tyrone lad, James Beggs, he might have been a bit green around the ears, but he knew a good thing whenever he saw it in those early days. And the first time he ever set sight upon her, he thought she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. And how true that was. But she was also attractive in personality. Constantly friendly, smiling, outgoing, tender-hearted, genuine. She always had a word for everyone that she met. There was a comment left on uh, The Undertaker's Facebook page that sums her up far better than ever I could, really, as far as this matter was concerned. I want to quote it to you very quickly. And this comment begins, Ah, Margaret, what a beautiful lady inside and out. Every time she was in super value, we always had some lovely chats. We will miss her dearly. She was a kind and wonderful lady. So sorry to all the family for their loss. My heart goes out to you all. She was a treasure. And that's followed by a heart emoji. Oh, Nana spoke her mind, of course, but never in a harsh or in a demeaning sort of way. There were no back doors in her, really. What was in her heart came out if she felt that it was appropriate. 
at that particular time. I was thinking yesterday that I believe it was one of my birthdays, likely when I turned 50, that she said to me on one time, we're just we're on our own talking, I never imagined having a son-in-law your age, she said. And when they'd come to visit us, in whatever church I was in, I used to, from the pulpit, uh, make mention of the fact that my mother-in-law was in the congregation, and therefore I had to be in my best behavior or watch what I said, thinking that I would always get the last word on her. But no, she always was able to come back with something around the table or uh, afterwards. So you never really were able to uh, beat her as far as a witty combat was concerned. You couldn't not like Mrs. Beggs. The third thing is V, V for victory. Victory, the victory of Christ over death. And this is the central thought of the points that I want to leave with you. And it's right that it should be in the center because the V speaks about the victory of Christ. I'm referring to Calvary, the victory of Christ over death and sin and hell at the cross. As a little girl of six on the 3rd of March, 1943, her mother had the joy of pointing her to Christ and she received the grace to accept Christ by faith. Even as a child, she realized that Christ had laid down his life for her and rose again the third day, paying the price and gaining victory over sin's power on behalf of Margaret Paisley as she was then. That was the day that she made preparation for Friday tea time. She was born into this world on the 11th of June, 1936. I calculated Roughly yesterday, and if my maths is correct, or more particularly the uh, app on my phone is correct, she spent around 31,500 days upon this earth in 86 and a bit years. And in all of those days, she had a great many and memorable ones. But up until Thursday passed, that day as a six-year-old, that was the, the greatest day of her life. When she found Christ and accepted him by faith. And that day of her conversion was only exceeded in greatness by Friday, the 23rd of December, 2022. Because that's the day that she entered into heaven. And it is a great thing, a great thing indeed to have a day of conversion. But oh, at the end of a life how much wonderful it is and what a greater day it is to enter into the glory. The hymn writer expressed it in the most wonderful words. What a day that shall be when my Jesus I shall see. And what a day then Friday was for Margaret Beggs. For us and for many of you it was a dreadful day. But particularly for her family. It was a dreaded day, a heartbreaking day, but for her, it was the greatest day of her existence. E is for education. Education. In her early days, she had an interest, really, in looking after people and in caring for them. She was a member of the St. John's Ambulance Brigade, won many different awards, Later on, her and her mother organized first aid classes for boys and girls and used them as a means of reaching many with the gospel. And with that training, 
You might have expected her to go into nursing or something along those lines. But no, rather Nana went to Stranmillis College to train as a teacher. It was in training to be a teacher that she met her future husband. Over 60 years of married life they enjoyed together. And how blessed a thing it was for them to spend all these years together. So she was a teacher. She has a daughter who's a teacher. She has a granddaughter who's a teacher. Jimmy, he even married Julie, who's a teacher. And there may be another, at least maybe one potential teacher among her grandchildren. So her family is full of teachers. That's why those of us in the family who are involved in public speaking are so well-spoken and grammatically correct. We're motivated by fear. Because you make a mistake and, well, you'll get it in the ear from at least one of the teachers in the family. Very often, more than one. Finally, D is for devotion. She was, as you will know, devoted to her family. Of course, after Jim and Margaret's marriage on the 5th of July, 1961, Heather, Alison, Jenny, James were born. And what a happy home that was and a happy childhood they had. We who have joined the family since could recount stories that we've heard of holidays near and far, of a car full of children and cases, an old caravan on tow behind. They visited all the exotic places in the world. Listen to Lear, County Tyrone, they went with the caravan. They went to Scotland in the caravan. They went to England in the caravan, sometimes sleeping on the motorway on the way down, and that's, that was just the driver sleeping, by the way. And after their four children got married, then the grandchildren came along. But every addition to the family was welcomed with the same joy and love by Nana. It seemed as if her devotion to the family knew no bounds. Her own career as a teacher was soon forsaken so that she might have more time to look after her grandchildren. And of course, in time then, great-grandchildren were received and embraced with the same affection shown to the previous generation. It's ironic that in the providence of God, Nana should be taken away from us at this particular time of the year. Because she loved Christmas, of course, for what it means to so many, but also because for her, that's the time when all the family would come together. In the Bible... The word children refers not only to sons and daughters, but it also carries with it the idea of grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And Proverbs chapter 31 has been a great source of encouragement over recent days. In verse 28 of Proverbs 31, speaking of a virtuous or a godly woman, the Bible says, her children shall rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. These words are very appropriate in relation to Nana. Her children, her husband, of course, are the people who know her best, who seen her, who saw her, and there's the first grammatical mistake, I believe. Maybe have others made that haven't realised yet, but I'll hear about them later. Her husband and her children saw her when she was relaxed at first hand at the most intimate quarters. And so, really, it is a person's nearest and dearest who know them the best because they see them at home. 
and they see them how they really are. And Mrs. Beggs was devoted to her family, as you will know. They were devoted to her, uh, all of them. The different generations in her family, they were all devoted sincerely to her. And so that's it. Five traits concerning Margaret Beggs. The first started with S. The second began with A. The third with V. The fourth with E. The fifth with D. S, A, V, E, D. See it. See it. And that, in conclusion, really is the most important thing about her. So when you think about Mrs. Beggs, think about saved. Think about how the word saved describes her, sums her up. And then think about your own salvation. S. A-V-E-D. We look forward having lost her for a time, being taken from us. We look forward, even though she's gone from our family, to joining her in heaven someday, a glad reunion. I trust that you will be there also on that glorious and wonderful day. May the Lord bless these thoughts to all of our hearts. Amen. Amen. There are loved ones in the glory whose dear forms we often miss when you close your earthly story. Will you join them in their bliss? Will the Unbroken by and by, by and by, in a better home awaiting in the sky, in the sky, in the joyous days of childhood the told of wondrous love pointed to the dying Savior now they dwell with him above will the circle be unbroken by and by by and by in a better home awaiting in the sky in the sky you remember songs of heaven which you sang with childish voice do you love the hymns they taught you 
are our songs of earth. Your joys will the circle be unbroken by and by, by and by in a better home awaiting in the sky in the sky you can picture Happy gatherings around the fire side long ago and you think of those tearful partings when they left you here below but will the circle be unbroken by and By one, their seats were emptied, and one by one, they went away. Here, the circle has been broken. How will it be complete on that great day? Will the circle? By and by, by and by, in that better home awaiting in the sky, in the sky, will the circle be unbroken by and by? By and by, in that better home awaiting in the sky, in the sky. Beggs family have asked me to read a portion of God's Word found in Revelation chapter 7 and commencing at verse 9 through to the end of the chapter. Revelation chapter 7 and commencing our reading at verse 9. Let's hear the word of a living God. After this I beheld, and though a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, 
and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun lighten them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Amen. And we look to the Lord to ask, add his blessing to the reading of his word. May I just thank Reverend Armstrong, Reverend McRae, and Reverend Stuart uh, for their parts in this service uh, so far. Mr. Begg said the other evening, Paul, if you don't mind just saying a few words uh, from on behalf of the Antrim uh, Pre-Presbyterian Church, and it is my honour, uh, first of all, I've been very happy to be sitting down today, uh, but it is an honour to be leading this service uh, for Mrs. Beggs. And I know to you, Mr. Beggs, on behalf of our congregation, you know you're loved, and your wife, uh, likewise, was deeply loved by all the young people and the members of the congregation. Reverend Beggs made his uh, Antrim his home church uh, after his retirement in 2000, and I know I speak on behalf of all the ministers. First of all, Reverend Armstrong was there, uh, Reverend Abernethy, and then myself. For seven years, I had the privilege of uh, being Mrs. Beggs's pastor, and uh, we will miss her presence. Uh, we really will miss her presence in the prayer meetings. Uh, she had a great interest uh, in the children of the church, the teenagers, the young people, and uh, she loved them, and she knew that they loved her. And I was just thinking there, as Mr. Armstrong was speaking, that, you know, if, if what he got by way of, uh, as her son-in-law, was anything like what we got, it must have been pretty bad, because Mrs. Beggs never held back in her comments and I was saying that last night just to Mr. Beggs that I remember one afternoon coming out of the pulpit and catching my jacket on the, the pulpit and it tore the pocket off the suit. And I, I said to her at the door, Mrs. Beggs, do you see what I've did or I've done? There I go. So, <laughs> so um, and uh, she said to me, Paul, you always were a disaster. <laughs> and I says, Mrs. Beggs, that's so encouraging. She says, but no, you always were. <laughs> I think at one time, uh, one of our organists uh, had just started playing the piano, and Mrs. Beggs, I think, said to her, don't worry, dear, it'll only get better. And, uh, but it was always that smile that never, uh, you never took offense at Mrs. Beggs. There's many things we could say, and best left not said today, um, what, uh, just how she was. But, you know, uh, we moved to this congregation in 1981, so over 40 years ago. And Mrs. Beggs was there, and uh, she was like a, a mother to us young men. And whenever we 
move to the church in Antrim in 2015 uh, was just like uh, having your mother there all over again, another mother. And I say it on behalf of all the people in Antrim, uh, we loved her and we will miss her. And it is our prayer in these days that Mr. Beggs, you and the family will know the sustaining power of God's grace. We're going to stand and sing a hymn, and then afterwards, immediately afterwards, Reverend Greer will come, and he will be bringing uh, the message to us this afternoon. So let us stand, please, as we sing this hymn, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb. I wish to thank uh, Mr. Thompson for ably and efficiently presiding over this service of thanksgiving today for Mrs. Margaret Beggs. And we also appreciate, as has been said, the other brethren who have taken part already in this service. As I mention these ministers, I want also at this moment just to convey to the Reverend Beggs 
the sincere sympathy of our entire presbytery. And as clerk of presbytery, it is my privilege just to say this at this particular time. The Reverend Beggs was, at, in the past, he was deputy moderator for a period of years. He continues to attend the meetings of presbytery, and he's very, very highly esteemed by the entire presbytery as a Christ-like man, a man of God, a man of God-given wisdom. And therefore, Mr. Beggs, I assure you of the sympathy and the prayerful support of your fellow presbyters, both today and also in days ahead. The Beggs family have asked me to preach here today. I want this moment just to thank them for that honor, because it is an honor to be able to come with the Word of God. I know I've ministered here for many years, but to be asked to preach at Mrs. Beggs' funeral is truly an honor, and I want to thank them very much indeed for giving me that role today. I could just say at this time, on behalf of the session committee and congregation of this church that we bring to you, I bring to you on their behalf the sincere sympathy and prayerful support of all of the Lord's people here. Reverend Beggs and his wife retired from their active roles in the ministry of this congregation over 22 years ago. And during those years that have gone by, they have often come back for different meetings and various events, and they were always very welcome to return on those occasions. And from this pulpit, therefore, I want to assure the Reverend Beggs and his entire family of the love and the sympathy of this congregation. We will continue to pray for you, as you know, Mr. Beggs and family. And so to you, and to Heather and Mike, and Alison and John, Jenny and Alistair, and James and Julie, and the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, and all the family circle, I extend our, heart, our heartfelt sympathy. It's also appropriate on behalf of this congregation just to pay a little tribute to many years of faithful service. I know that has been mentioned by her son-in-law, Mr. Armstrong, but just a, a little word or two about that because, well, Mrs. Beggs was a child of the manse, and she became the lady of the manse as the Reverend Beggs is a beloved wife. And in that public role, in a variety of ways, and in an exemplary manner, she fulfilled her position as the pastor's wife. And may I add, thereby setting a clear example of what it is to labor unselfishly, unstintingly, and sacrificially by the side of the man of God. She fulfilled various roles over all those years when Mr. Beggs was the minister here. Uh, for example, she played the organ and did so down through all those years, and that must be noted and remembered. The first time she ever played in a public service was actually in the town hall here in Baldomena. Her brother, Dr. Paisley, was having a mission in 1951. Whoever was to play pulled out or whatever happened, and he asked her, that is, Dr. Paisley asked her, would she stand in? And that was her first um, uh, time to play the organ 
or in any instrument in a public manner, and that was the beginning. And for all those years thereafter, she played in the work of God here through this congregation. She was a Sunday school teacher. She taught the girls' Bible class. She was involved in the children's work. And also, very much the leader and the example in the church kitchen, because she headed up many, many catering events and arrangements at countless, for countless meetings and events down through all those years. And therefore, for all these reasons, Mrs. Margaret Beggs was a mother in Israel. And today we uh, salute her memory and her faithful service for the Lord Jesus Christ in the work of the Lord here. And she loved the Savior, and suddenly she went to be with Him on Friday evening last, as we already know. And now she's in His presence, and she's there, and her redeemed soul rests in indescribable bliss and everlasting peace. And therefore, we remember this dear lady today, and again, I thank you for the opportunity to bring the Word of God. I want just to bring your attention to some verses in 2 Timothy 4, very well-known verses. They are, but the Lord has led me to them. I was looking at another passage, and as often happens to preachers, well, you go off a passage in the sense, well, this is not it. I've got to look for something else, and the other passage I refer to, I felt it not to be the one I should focus on today, and so I had to go back to the drawing board and look again. But I believe the Lord has given me this word, and I know time is moving on, and yet we must hear the word of God. And so, 2 Timothy 4, three verses I wish to read, verse 6 through to 8, it says, For now I am, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. These are essentially Paul's last words at this stage in his life. He is close to the end of his final imprisonment in Rome. The Spirit of God moved him, therefore, as he wrote this epistle to his young colleague Timothy, to bring some last words. And they are words that stand out and that are tremendous in their meaning and in their impact upon our souls, even upon an occasion like this. The subject of these verses is actually the subject of death, and yet put forth in a manner that is glorious as you read them and think about them. They are the words of a man who often addressed the subject of death, as we see in his preaching in the book of Acts and also in the epistles that he wrote. Remember, Paul wrote about half of the New Testament, and therefore you can peruse his writings, and you can see very clearly what this man believed and what he had to say about the subject of death. Well, when he came to write about it here, as he draws nigh to the end of his life, he writes, in it, he writes on it in a manner that is remarkable, and that really conveys the victory that we've already heard about, 
that filled his soul on that occasion when he was about to leave this world and actually lay down his life through the cruel death of martyrdom. But despite those circumstances, an aged man, a man with frailties, a man with many burdens still upon him, he viewed his death as is brought before us in his own words. Yes, the words of the Holy Spirit, but very personal as far as Paul is concerned. And you can see that as you read these words. It is vital to notice that these words are applicable to the death of every child of God. While Paul wrote them in his own setting, in very peculiar circumstances, yet the truths that are brought before us in these verses encapsulate what is really the death of every Christian, every child of God. You see, all people die, as we know. We're very familiar with that. Let us not hide away from it. All people die, and there are many means of death. There are sicknesses and accidents, as we call them, and the frailties of life and old age coming on and all of that. But you know, men and women, there are only two ways in which men and women die. And that is, they die either in union with Jesus Christ or in a state of sin, and therefore a state of condemnation. Paul, in our text, is speaking of the death of the one who's in union with Jesus Christ. And therefore, he's speaking of the one who dies in the Lord and who goes to be with the Lord. Such was the death of Mrs. Beggs. There is absolutely no doubt about that. It was my privilege to be with her last Friday morning in a little visit with her and her husband. And I was blessed because whenever I said, Hello, Mrs. Beggs, this is John, her eyes opened up about halfway and she turned toward me. And that's really my last memory of this dear lady. I read and prayed and went on my way. But what a blessing it was just to be in the presence of a woman who a few hours later was going to be in glory, where she now is. Three very simple things here about these words about the death of the Christian. First of all, the analysis of the Christian's death. The opening words of the text give to us this analysis of a Christian's death. Paul states, I am now ready to be offered. Literally, those words may be read this way, I already am being poured out. The thought that he has in mind behind that language, there lies a certain Jewish practice, namely the pouring out of the drink offering, which was one of the offerings of of ancient Israel. Uh, it was actually the final act of the entire Jewish sacrificial ceremony. In many ways, it was a thanksgiving offering, but it was called the drink offering, and it was an offering in which there was a pouring out of wine at the end of that whole ceremonial system that had been gone through. And Paul is saying, therefore, that his imminent death was really the final sacrificial act of his entire Christian life. And the thought is that Paul's life was the Lord's. He belonged to the Lord, 
And therefore his death was the final pouring out of that life unto his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about this, his death, his life and his death were the Lord's because the Lord had redeemed this man at the place called Calvary. And often Paul wrote about that. He wrote in Galatians 2 and verse number 20, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And in those words, he takes us to the cross. He takes us to Calvary. And what happened at the cross, the climax of the sufferings of our Savior, all that he endured, all that came upon him, all that he encountered, the wrath of God coming down. He writes about it as well in Galatians 3.13, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things of the law to do them. And he refers in Galatians as well to being redeemed from the curse of the law and brings us to Christ and to Calvary. And therefore, when he writes here, I am now ready to be offered, and he analyzes uh, the Christian's death in that way as the pouring out of a life that belongs to the Lord, it's all because that person has been redeemed. And when you think about that, that the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed the apostle. Therefore, his life is not his own. And even in his death, he's pouring out his life in thanksgiving unto his Savior. You are taken to the words of John 17, 24, where Christ prayed on the eve of his own death as he went to the cross a short time later, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And I just say to the family today, think about those lovely words that the Lord uttered in prayer. The one who was about to go to Calvary to redeem Mrs. Beggs, to redeem all his people from their sin. And he prayed, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me. And you see, men and women, that prayer was answered on Friday evening. It's answered every time a Christian dies. A believer dies in answer to the prayer of the Redeemer who asked the Father, that those given to him, the elect of God given to him, would be with him. And therefore, they go to be with him, and their lives are his. And that's how we analyze the Christian's death. The death of the believer is the Savior's way of taking home to heaven those whom he has redeemed by his own blood. And, of course, that, applica- that redemption must be applied. And it was applied taking the Apostle Paul in his case on the Damascus Road, and we're all aware of the story and the account of the Damascus Road, of this man, Saul of Tarsus, as he was then, how the Lord met with him and saved him on that road and brought him out of his darkness and out of his sin. And thereafter, he used the word saved over and over and over again. And there are too many instances even to start to enumerate from this pulpit today. But you know, The word saved is a word that signifies a person's spiritual well-being. Having become the focus of the Lord's attention, 
as by His Spirit He intervenes in that person's life, whether it's a little child or a teenager or a grown person. He intervenes in that person's life and He saves that soul and He applies redemption to that life. And that's what conversion, that's what salvation is truly all about. In 1994, my wife and I had the privilege of having the Reverend Beggs and his wife stay with us for two weeks. You know, we saw more of them in those two weeks than probably we've ever seen of them since we came back from America. But they stayed with us for two weeks. Our brother was over to bring a week of meetings and preach, and they stayed with us in our home. And one day, I was walking through the living room, and Mrs. Beggs was ironing. And as I walked past the iron table, she said, John, it is great to be saved. Just like that. And I said, certainly, Mrs. Beggs, it's it's great to be saved, or I've responded in that way. But there is a testimony of a woman whom the Lord redeemed by His blood at the cross, and then to whom He applied redemption, so that she knew that all was well with her soul, And you see, the Apostle Paul was a redeemed man, a saved man, and he was the Lord's from that moment until the point of his death. And then he went to be with his Savior. Did he not say, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain? And how wonderful, therefore, as we analyze the Christian's death, to be reminded of these facts of the gospel. You see, this is the the point. This is the matter that we need to focus on. The death of the Christian is really an outworking in in a certain ultimate sense of the gospel. The gospel by which we are redeemed. The gospel that saves us from our sins. The gospel that keeps us day by day throughout our Christian lives. And then when we come to die, it's the gospel that brings us to glory. Because that Savior who redeemed us and who saves us and who keeps us is the Savior who went to the cross, remember, who opened up a new and a living way into the holiest of all. And that ultimately has to do with going to heaven. Heaven's the holiest of all, and we go there to be with the Lord. But then a word about the approach of the Christian's life, the Christian's death. Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand. There is the approach of the Christian's death. The time of my departure is at hand. And those words, is at hand, could also be read this way. The time of my departure is come, or has arrived. That's the sense of the language. And so Paul knew that his death was approaching, He knew that he was about to be carried away to glory. Notice the word time that's used there. The time of my departure is come. It specifies a a certain point in time. You see, the, the death of every man has been appointed by the Lord. It is appointed unto men once to die, saved and unsaved. And I just pause here to remind all in in this gathering who are not saved that your appointment with death is on God's calendar. And that's why you need to get ready. 
You're here today to pay your respect to a, a dear woman whom you knew well, but are you ready to meet her in the glory? Are you saved? It's all, it's all well with your soul. When your time comes, how horrid it will be if you're still in your sin. That's what the word time signifies. This specific point in time that arrives at which the Christian goes to be with the Lord. And you know, everything that comes before, and we always should keep this in mind, the illnesses, the sicknesses, the circumstances by which death comes, all of that is under divine control. And it's actually the Lord's way of bringing His people home. Death is appointed by the Lord, and the very means that bring the death are arranged by Him. But you see, there's one great thing to keep in, mem uh, keep in mind. There's no sting in the Christian's death. Yes, Christians grow weak, and they get frail, and some sickness comes, or whatever the means may be. But thank God there's no sting. Mrs. Beggs' death was so peaceful. So peaceful. And what a testimony was left there of the fact that her God had arranged all of this. And by those means, He took her home to heaven. You see, Christ took the sting for her when He died so that there was no sting in her death. What does the Bible mean when it talks about the sting of death there in 1 Corinthians 55? It says there's no sting in the Christian's death. Well, it tells us there that the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Let me remind you, sinner, that you are a lawbreaker a breaker of God's law. And that means that if you come to die in your sin, there will be the most terrible sting in your death because your death will be hopeless. Your death will be dark. Your death will have nothing in it to buoy you up and carry you through. It will, to be, it will be to go out into God's eternity at that time that's appointed for you, not ready, not prepared. And the word departure here, where he says, the time of my departure is at hand, signifies the time of my release. And that word departure is interesting because it refers to that time when a sailing ship was about to leave and go out onto the ocean and all the moorings are untied and the ropes are unloosed, that's the sense of that word. And you see, that's what the Lord was doing. He was untying the ropes. He was causing the moorings to be removed so that He would take Mrs. Beggs' soul to be with Him. And therefore, she departed to be with Christ. Those words from Philippians 1.23, the very same word is used, essentially, where Paul said, having a desire to depart. It's the same word, only in a verb form, as the word departure here. 
having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. And that's what happened. The final rope was untied. I know her family, and especially her husband, naturally would have liked to have kept her longer. But it wasn't to be. The great master of her soul was releasing her from this life to go to be with him. And that's the final thought here, the arrival after the Christian's death. So when you think about the word departure, it doesn't fair that death is not the end, not the end of a believer's existence by any means. It is really the introduction to what we may call the arrival in glory and all that heaven holds for the child of God. Yes, the time of her departure came, but it was to go to be with the Lord, as we've already intimated, to be with Jesus Christ, the blessed afterlife of a far more glorious kind than anything ever known in this world. And so you see, at this moment, in fact, from last Friday evening, the soul of Mrs. Margaret Beggs has been with Christ and will be there with Him forever. Until that day when her precious body must be raised and will be raised, when the trumpet sounds and the Lord descends from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, and in that instant, that redeemed soul that's with the Lord will re-enter this body, and this body will be raised up, made like unto Christ's glorious body. And forever she will, she will live and she will reign with her Savior in a full form again. My friend, that's the ultimate outcome of the gospel. It's only the gospel that promises this. Therefore, let her passing be to you who are the Lord's people a reminder of what the death of the Christian is, what your death will be. But let it be, even above all that, a, a, a message to you who are yet in your sin that you need to prepare to meet the Lord. And may you do that today through faith and repentance and turn to Christ. And may He bless His Word to all of our hearts. Amen. Can I just thank Reverend Greer for bringing God's Word to us. We pray that the family uh, will find comfort in what has been spoken. We're going to sing our final hymns, the hymn 324. Uh, the hymn 324, I once was a stranger to grace and to God. But just before we sing this hymn, we'll be remaining standing at the end of this hymn. Can I just make a few announcements at this point? Uh, the family will be leaving immediately uh, to go outside, and there we will be singing a hymn.
so the weather has held up, and uh, so we want everybody to vacate the building as quickly as we can. So we need you to use all the doors, uh, so don't be trying to follow out one door. If you could go out, use the exit to, the left, to my right, and then out here as well. And gather as quickly as we can outside in the car park where we're going to be singing a hymn before the family leaves for a private burial service in the Bali uh, Cemetery. So... Uh, please do note that. And then also can I just say that supper or tea has been served over in the complex and we'd like the family would like to meet you there when they return. So please, after uh, the family depart the car park, go straight over uh, to the complex and there enjoy some uh, good things which have been kindly provided uh, by the ladies of the congregations. So those are all the details, I trust. Um, we're now going to stand and then remain standing uh, for a word of prayer and the benediction, and remain standing as the remains are taken from the auditorium.
Our Father, we thank Thee for a Christ-exalting Thanksgiving service this afternoon. We thank Thee, O Lord, that Thou hast brought us to the great climax of the Gospel, that Jesus Christ, He is our Redeemer, that He is our forever Saviour. And Lord, we pray that as Thy Word has been spoken, that, Lord, Thou would bring it home by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know, Father, our times are in thy hands. Each day of our life on earth is under the control of thy divine providence. And Lord, we, at the close of this service, give thee thanks for every day of the life of Mrs. Margaret Beggs. Thank thee for every part of her life that has been ordered by thee especially the day in which thou called her to thyself. And now, O Lord, the gospel has done what it has promised to do, and it is to bring the saints the whole way home. So, Father, now we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the eternal Comforter will be upon us both now and forevermore. Amen.